right, what is going on, guys? It is time for another episode of the Chasing Waypoints podcast. And while we're on a roll, this time around, we're doing another in the bimwhac. Yeah, I forgot to, you know, do the warm up right. All the do re mi fa sol or whatever they do. All that's nah, nah. We just do this as it as it comes out. But we are in the bivouac again. We have got another guest, two guests actually lined up, two for one special today. And uh, I know you've heard of them, and I know you've seen the gear, and I know you've seen the bags. But we're gonna find out a little bit about the brand and the people behind it how this whole thing even got started. So we're going to be talking to Pete and Ash of Moscow Moto today. Find out a little bit more about the origins and their travel. I was down at the uh, Moscow meetup with my girlfriend a couple of weeks ago and uh, got to see a presentation about all the travel and stuff that they've been doing. And yeah. Uh, these guys mean business. So I am absolutely stoked to have them this week on the Chasing Waypoints podcast. Episode number 71. All right. We're getting there. 29 more episodes before episode number 100. I think we're going to do that one live. I don't know. I'm going to start looking for some ideas. What to do for the 100th episode of the Chasing Waypoints podcast, which is crazy. You know, I think thinking back, you know, 70-ish episodes ago. I should say rambling on about a uh, 850 and a 790 uh, is really the more accurate description of it, but that's what we were doing. So you guys are going to be hearing this episode on Sunday. I'll let the cat out of the bag. We're not recording this on Sunday, Uh, but we are going to be traveling back from the Baja Rally and American Rally Originals fundraiser so absolutely looking forward to sharing the stories and the experience and everything that went down for that event. So you guys will be hearing more about it. And I'm sure we're going to get a few more in the bivouacs out of that one. But look for some updates on that. If you're not already following, make sure you follow at Chasing Waypoints on Instagram. Let's start turning down this party and get a link over to these guys and see if we get them logged in here in just a second. checking out the teaser video on the Moscow Moto website. It's pretty cool. A friend I met down at San Diego BMW Motorcycles when I was working there, Wade, uh, rider and all around nice guy. Got the chance to uh, to work with him there, work on his bikes and uh, help him with the, uh, with the process. And uh, yeah, so reached out to me. We started talking Moscow Moto and uh, I was like, yeah, this is awesome. Obviously, we know, and I mean, there's some big production stuff that they do and some design stuff that they've done, and, uh, you know, the, the brand is very big. The brand is everywhere. It's all around you. But, you know, now with the new gear lineup, as well as the bags, the bags was the beginning, and now they're doing their moto gear stuff, and we're going to have another in the bivouac that we're going to be talking to somebody else on the team, talking a little bit about what the, um, I should say, oh, that was kind of abrupt. What happened to Smooth? Oh. So talking a little bit more about the gear and the layering and how they've gone about designing this moto gear and seeing it in person, touching it and, and really like studying it. It is some tough 
material stuff. Like this isn't, uh, this is not a, a light duty one season type of deal where, you know, you're going to wear it for a few, for a few months and then you're going to be looking for the next set of gear. So I'm, I'm stoked to find out more about that, uh, and what they've got, uh, going on. But anyway, with that being said, let's see if we got them on the line. Pete Ash, you guys there? Yep, we're here. Yes, we are. Nice. Well, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, yeah really. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Of course. So, okay, the first question I have to ask, because this is, you never know, uh, where in the world are you guys right now? <laughs> we're actually we're actually at home sitting on our, our couch right now. Yeah, we're surprisingly at home. It's the time of year where we're not here very much. Um, some years more than others. And it just feels like right now we're kind of cranking away, not really here very much. Um, so yes, it's kind of a shocker. We got 24 more hours and then we're on a planes to Flagstaff for Overland Expo. Yep. So we were almost every weekend is an event for us right now. Wow. Well, that, that was actually, um, where I, I talked a little bit, actually got to meet Ash uh, in person for the first time, my girlfriend and I, and we were talking, you know, books and all sorts of moto travel <laughs> and talking with Wade about how that schedule is and like what you guys are doing with the meetups and all of that stuff. Like, it seems like it really is one right after the other. It is because once we get that road rig uh, on tour, once it's out traveling around, you know, the big trailer you saw in the truck and our team is out on the road, uh, Ryan and Donzi and their son, Roland, living on the road full time. So once it's rolling, you know, you want to kind of keep it rolling. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, you, you go, the events are laid out in a, a pattern that makes sense geographically for the truck and trailer. And so then it'll kind of go out on tour for a while and come back. Yeah. So um, usually that, with a break in the middle, a little break in the middle in the summer. Yeah. So it'll go do one tour in the spring and then another tour in the fall, usually yeah. with a few isolated shows in between where we kind of go out and back okay gotcha yeah i i had no idea I, I think it's an awesome concept i mean being able to you know like literally put hands on gear um and, and just actually check everything out and talk about strap abuse of course you know so <laughs> <laughs> well you know it's it's really important for us because we're, we're a direct uh to, we're a direct company we only sell direct so we don't have dealers we don't have distributors so you know the only way to really see our product in person is if a friend of yours has it you know, or someone you go riding with, or if you come visit us at one of these events. Nice. And I, so I think, I think we do as many or more events probably than anyone else in the ADV space in the U S anyway. Um, we're, you know, we're between 40 and 50 events a year. Wow. Okay. So if you, yeah. I mean, that's not like per weekend, cause I think you guys do week during the week shows, but that's a busy schedule. It's a busy schedule. And uh, some of those shows are in Europe. Um, oh. and we also do, uh, usually a show in Australia, um, some shows in Canada, so it's, um, spread out all over the world, but, but mostly concentrated most, in us and EU. Yeah. Us and EU accounts for probably all but three or four of the shows. Um, and, uh, they're, you know, that's just part of doing business this way. And actually we love it. Yeah. I mean, the travel is exhausting. It used to be just Ash and I, mm -hmm. but now we have like, we were just driving all over the country in our little camper with a enclosed trailer behind, but now we have a whole team of folks that help us and uh are actually totally in charge of leading it and we sort of drop in for events the big ones yeah. you know dude that's awesome well and yeah. i mean it's I'm, I'm trying to think of like all of this traveling that's involved you know just on on the business side but 
when when we were there and I, I did not know that uh, that you guys were going to be talking or, or we're going to have a presentation and I'm, I'm absolutely stoked that we stayed. But this traveling thing goes before Moscow. Right. What you guys were doing moto on motos and going to different countries and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I think that travel is very deeply woven into the fabric of who we are, like for both of us, um, just being nomadic in some way or another. I think that for Pete, he has his story, you know, starting with freight trains when he was 15 years old and moving around the country like that. And then um, motorcycle travel after like during college and after. And, um, you know, for me, it was kind of the same. It was like during college without the freight train hopping. Still have yet to do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would do it, though. I would do it. It sounds like We've a thrill. We have talked about it. We've talked about going back and sort of having a a little a trip to re-enliven that memory. Yeah. Just, I don't know. I tried hitchhiking once. It was, it, I wasn't very convincing. Uh, the, <laughs> the girl who picked us up was immediately like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I have questions. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I have questions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but no, travel is, travel is a huge part of our lives either way. And so if we weren't doing these shows, I'm sure we'd be, do, we would be doing some other type of travel or even more, um, even more of another type of travel. You know, the, the, we're this fly, the way we're flying into events right now is not really either one of our favorite ways to do it. I mean, we love travel and try, Flying is probably the least satisfying kind, you know, yeah. of all the different ways to move around, move yourself around. Um, Especially the short trips. Like yeah. the, we're doing that. We keep talking about it. This is like a topic very, very close to the forefront of our mind right now because as we're doing it, it's just exhausting. Like when you go to a place and return within 36 hours, mm-hmm. you know, you're just – it's kind of like whiplash. You're not, you're not really um, – you're not there for very long. Your body has a lot of adjusting to do going up into the air, <laughs> coming back down. And, um, yeah, it's really just kind of hard on the body. So and you don't absorb anything. You just walk in to the airport in one climate and one region and walk out in another climate, in another region without connecting the dots in any kind of like meaningful way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Don't get, don't get the sights, the warm up, the, the, the build up to arriving to it. It's just kind of like, okay, jump on a plane, get there, go back. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I could see that for Vegas because that way, at least from, from San Diego, you avoid the six hour drive or the eight hour drive or 10 hour drive on the way back with everybody coming back. But for what you guys do, I mean, yeah, that's that gets tough for sure. Yeah. It's from one to the yeah. other. So what was the what was the last moto trip that you guys did? Mm, the, the very last one was Baja. Baja. Yeah. 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 We were in Baja. We took um the we went with the entire moscow team to baja so we every twice a year we close the office for a week and the whole team goes riding together everybody on our team rides which is cool we're we're i think this last company trip we had 26 people with us some of those were partners and just friends who are close to the business but um still uh on the europe side and on the u.s side everybody on the team rides everybody has a bike which is really cool and so twice a year we kind of close the office and we all go riding together and we you know, use the gear and, and, uh, hang out. And it's just like a really neat thing. We started doing it in the very beginning when we founded the company. And, um, at that time we were using our own personal bikes as the show bikes. So, you know, when we're doing a show, we got to have something in the booth to hang the bags off of. Mm-hmm. And the only bikes we owned were our own personal ones. So we took those to events and then, you know, the event would be over and we'd be somewhere else with the bikes. And it was just like a perfect opportunity if we're in Southern California, Arizona to pop across the border into Baja or if we're near the Rockies to go to Moab 
And that was how company trips started was we had our bikes, we're somewhere far away from home, so let's all go riding together. And But there were like three of us, you know, or four of us. And uh, I think we always kind of felt like as the company grew, we'd have to move away from that, like how it wouldn't work, you know, that it would just be too many different skill levels and bikes and the risk and all these different things. But actually we're still doing it and it just seems to keep getting better and better. Like the trips are so fun, you know, and they're, they're not guided tours, you know, they're, they're totally disorganized and chaotic in all the, the, in all the good ways, you know, everybody's really on a trip. We have breakdowns, we have injuries, uh, people get lost. We don't all try to ride together. Everybody splits up. There's no, um, you know, once we're out there, um, there's no hierarchy. It's just, you know, everybody riding together, just like a bunch of friends. And it's pretty cool, man. Yeah. yeah I, it's really easy to sit on the couch and think about all the problems with it. Like when you're, when, when you're not on the trip, like, Oh gosh, I mean, we have so many people now. Well, it's just going to be a pain in the butt. Like, I don't, how, how do you even pull something like this off again? What about injuries and crossing borders and yeah. crossing borders? And what about riding through the city? Are people going to get hurt? And, you know, it's really easy in that moment that you're coming up with all the problems to forget about how valuable it is. Mm-hmm. Like when you cross all of these boundaries together and all of these barriers and you're out on a trip and you're like disconnected and then reconnected. And like the joy of that is just so powerful and traveling together, you know, we come back and, and then the people who are answering the phones, our rider support team, they have these stories. And of course, in addition to their own motorcycle trips that they go on, but they have these stories to call on when um, they're talking to other riders in the community about questions or advice that they might need. Um, I just think it's really, it's, (laughs) I don't even know how we could possibly measure the value of it. It's like those Amex commercials. Yeah. It's kind of a crazy thing to do, though. I mean, if you talk to <laughs> some kind of risk manager or insurance adjuster, I'm yeah. sure they would think we're absolutely insane. And, yeah. you know, <laughs> totally. Here we it, go. It is pretty crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it is pretty crazy. Now, you want to yeah. do what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How many people? Yeah. No, exactly. I have questions. We, in fact, we've been around that with the insurance company. Uh, you know, there, there are team trips are... Um, like kind of like team building trips, like going to a ropes course or something like that. That's how it's considered under the insurance policy. Um, and you know, that seems so far so good, but, um, it's a, it's an awesome thing. And it's totally, um, baked into the DNA of our company. So was that really our last trip? Sorry, I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> last trip was really the, I don't know. I so that the, was our last like big trip. That was our last trip, like, like trip. living off the bikes and being, yeah. And being gone for a, for a material period of time but we did like a couple content missions yeah we did we came back recently yeah the hub riding on the way back from rawhide yep nice yeah and uh so we we came we drove back from the rawhide event in the mojave Mm -hmm. with our van and bikes Mm -hmm. on the back and we stopped uh at three or four different spots on the way back from california to washington state and rode uh you know single track and and dual sport um which was super fun and then before that you know we got back from um Africa. So we were only home from Africa for like six days, but when we left for Ba, that was crazy. which is a crazy turnaround. In fact, so I started the year on the on the California SoCal BDR mm-hmm. buddies. Came back from that was barely unpacked when we took off for Africa. We were in Africa for a month, and then came back for six days, and then we turned around and went to Baja. We're in Baja. The total trip to Baja was about ten days because because of the drive down and back in addition to the riding. Was it? I feel like it was even a little longer than that bad. for us because yeah. we like kind of took our time on the way back home. <laughs> and then we and then we uh, 
And then we then we turned around and went down to Rawhide, and then spent yeah, the and that, and then so. it's just like events, boom, yeah. <laughs> like, time and, for events. Yeah, wow, yeah, event yeah, season it's funny, started. I up. Get, go ahead, sorry. Oh, I was gonna say event season started up. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. That's it, and you just kind of get pulled into it in a in a really. I mean, not in the best way. Like, get sucked in. Like last weekend, I wasn't supposed to go to. Arizona for this event I said no no I'm gonna take the weekend off and not not go to an event and then when it came down to it like three days before I booked and I ended up going because I don't know once the momentum gets going you kind of want to just be in it like you don't want to miss out and we're also like sort of re-envisioning what this net what our next phase of meetups look like um so that is a really fun process it's something that I care a lot about and um, I think it's just really fun for us to all kind of toss around the ideas of what it might look like in the future to start incorporating some writing like we did at this event. So this was like the first, this was a little testing pool, this Bisbee event last weekend. Um, and it went so great. I mean, it, I, it was unbelievable. The difference is um, just huge. Like if you went to a normal meetup and you went to one of these, uh, I don't know that I would go to a normal meetup. Like but it's yeah. just, the, it's so much more valuable time with people, you know, no one's like rushed. The challenge we've always had with meetups is that they happen in kind of urban areas during the week, you know, so people aren't really likely to kind of want to ride three hours out of town and camp for the night. Cause they got to go to work the next day. Mm-hmm. So this is our first test of a weekend meetup, okay. like a, a multi-day. Yeah. So, so I'm, and I, I didn't catch, so it was in Bisbee. Um, and you guys went Bisbee out. At, yep. Bisbee at the Jonquil Hotel, which is this really cool, like funky hotel in Bisbee, which itself is a really cool, funky little town in Southern Arizona, like pretty close to the Mexico border. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's, um, just like really neat. It reminds me of a mining town in like South Dakota or the Rockies. Um, you know, the houses and all sort of perched up on the Hills and like kind of older architecture. And, uh, and then it's really funky, cool hotel that's owned by our friends, Sterling and Eva. And it attracts like a really cool, um, cool, like Overland crowd and adventure motorcycle crowd stays there. And, um, they have like a little camping area and fire pit area out back. So we, we, it's about probably what, three hours from Phoenix, something like that. Um, yeah, an hour and a half or so from Tucson, three hours from Phoenix. And so that was a kind of a destination, you know, meetups for us are generally where we get people together at a restaurant or bar or a coffee shop in a in close to an urban center. And it's a very low commitment thing. You know, it's like, Hey, if you want to see the gear, we'll be here between these hours. Drinks are on us and people come down and hang out and we just chit chat and tell stories. And if you want to look at gear, they can. And sometimes we do a presentation. Whereas this was more like, Hey, we're going to meet up here at this spot. that's three hours away from Phoenix. And, um, you know, there's camping and, uh, we didn't really know, like, would people come that far? And, and it, it actually was great. I think about 40 people showed up and which was our cap for the event. And, um, there, yeah, everybody camped and hung out and met a ton of people. It was just really fun, you know? And, it, and instead of being like standing around next to mannequins, we were out like chilling and chatting and everybody had ridden in and I don't know, it was just like kind of a model of the type of event I think we want to do more of in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and to me, one of the, uh, one of the really like important things about it when I'm like distinguishing the two events from each other is that at meetups, we try really hard to not be rushed in conversation or like move on too quickly to just kind of like be where you are, you know, or I I do anyway, I guess I can only speak for myself and I know you do too. And, um, and here in this environment, it was so much easier to, to do that. 
and things just seem to to go on longer. Like you could kind of savor the conversation and really be in it, not rushing off to the next thing, which I think is so valuable. And there's a lot more communication from between riders, like with each other, instead of like the meetup tends to be more us talking to people, people talking to us. And this was like everybody talking to everybody, you know? Yeah, they had, and not, I mean, having the gear there at an actual physical meetup versus, you know, having the gear there and then everybody's got their bikes and they're talking set up or whatever it is, or, you know, <laughs> talking about what oil they should run, you know, what tire pressures and all that other stuff. I mean, yeah, they, it, I could see where that's, that dynamic is, is much better in a, in a foreign setting or in a setting somewhere outside of the coffee shop, the bar, the, yeah, I think everyone's just more relaxed. Like the everybody there seemed more relaxed. We were all more relaxed because it's a, it's a place that's familiar to us. You know, like it's you, our natural habitat. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know, the the um the so the reason that hasn't really worked for us in the past is that usually on the weekends we have other events scheduled. Mm-hmm. You know, like big formal rallies, like the IMS shows or the BMW or KTM or and so on. Um, and what's happening now is that the IMS tour, which went from an indoor event series to an outdoor event series, and then just kind of went away. Um, and so that's freed up all of our weekends. So suddenly, you know, we couldn't really do weekend events before cause we had conflicts, mm-hmm. you know, and now we have weekends open. And so we can plan a, a, a tour that's like, you know, basically meet up, meet up, weekend camp out, meet up, meet up, weekend camp out. And how fun for us to be out camping and hanging out in cool spots and ri- actually riding instead of standing in a convention center in a booth, yeah. you know? Well, and, um, and I, yeah. I mean, the question for both of you guys, so n- knowing that now, right after doing this first, you know, the, this meetup style, um, versus one of those shows, I, I, f- I feel like I already know the answer to this, but which would you prefer? <laughs> definitely definitely we we haven't come up with the official name for this but our brainstorming led us in the car the other day to call should we say it uh, let's yeah. wait uh, <laughs> okay we're not Dang, the okay, we don't even know we, we're just so excited about it we got we're talking to the team about it later this sure? week okay okay uh, yeah, so, leave it for so them for and now then we'll, we'll come call back. it for now we'll call it a dirty meetup all right <laughs> so i definitely 1000 percent would choose the dirty meetup i mean the, the yeah even just going off of the sheer like sanitary environment of being in a convention center or the parking lot of a convention center or you know a fairgrounds or something like that is just so very different than these locations that we're, we have in mind for these dirty meetups mm-hmm. and um yeah it just feels so much more funky and so much more moscow and yeah like i said more uh our natural habitat it's a, it's really a weird thing because like with motorcycles you know not the whole concept of like an adv motorcycle event is a little bit weird because like mostly we ride motorcycles to be out in the woods like away from large congregations of people and to be with our our you know a couple of friends or even alone and and a motorcycle event does the opposite of that it tends to bring everybody into one place and you end up with four or 500 people camp next to each other at a fairgrounds, you know, cause sooner or later the event gets to a scale where you can't really do it anywhere except the fairgrounds. And, uh, and so we, that's been a, always kind of a dilemma for us just in general, you know, is that the activity itself is kind of a solo and small group activity. Um, so we're, we're going to try to find a balance for that in terms of the scale and the locations of these things. 
Yeah. yeah, I think there's something cool. There is something cool about bringing all of those people together who normally like would just be going out on their own into nature and getting them. I think they that that even people who attend the events, there's something about that discomfort that they like. Mm-hmm. Like it might be why a little bit why they do it, you know, that it's like, oh, OK, like I know I'm going to bump into people and have to talk to people or make new friends. And that that's part of the process. But I think we can do that on a smaller scale and bring the quality. I don't want to say the quality of the like masses is low, but maybe we'll have higher quality people that like more engage more enjoy engaging with each other um, at these events. I think that's I think that's totally feasible, right? Yeah. I mean, I think people want to meet other, they do want to ride. Like mm-hmm. a lot of times people may not have a lot of close friends when they first get into the sport that are super into it. And, mm-hmm. uh, and this is a way for them to connect with other people that know where to go and what to do. Yeah. And they're not, um, you know, you, you see like I've, I've done in, in previous work history, I've done like the SEMA show and uh, yeah, that's, you know, industry only and blah, blah, blah. But you end up talking to so many people and there's no way you could connect with all of those people, you know, that you would at, an event something like this where everybody's huddled around this is like more like the event that happens after the main event yeah right right and the the connections are more meaningful and you can remember people's names and there are so many good things about it you know it's like impossible at shows like SEMA to remember um everybody's name there's just no way I, I got a system from one of the uh, one of the guys that was there, one of the engineer reps that always was in the booth with us. He goes, I just put the business cards in different locations. So I know the ones <laughs> in my back right pocket are the ones I actually need to follow up. with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I go, you know, that's pretty smart. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty good system. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, OK, all right. I got this, you know. <laughs> and then later on, you're like, shit, what was I going to talk to him about? <laughs> Hey, Victor, do you want to do you want to know a pretty good trick that somebody taught me a couple of years ago about remembering names? Yes, please. Okay, so when you meet someone new that you want to remember their name, that's an important distinction. You don't want to remember everyone's name necessarily. There's just no space for that. But if you want to remember their name, then look at their face and envision someone else that you know, who has that same name right next to them, like literally picture their head right next to that other person person said and uh i swear it works so well my retention rate i think has gone up to uh i don't know 98 <laughs> percent close to 98 percent with that trick that, if you remember to do it it works really well i'm gonna have to try that because for sure i've you know meet so many people and i've i've worked in customer service for years and years so it's like eventually you get to the point where you're like okay that's it brains full we're we're getting to the end of the memory space here (laughs) that's a good trick i'm gonna try that i'll see how that works works. nice okay so we've been talking a lot about a writing where was the beginning for you guys where'd you guys get started in writing you start yeah for me it was uh i started in college you know my first car was a, a motorbike um but i didn't start driving until later than most folks. Cause I, I had spent, you know, I actually left home when I was pretty young. I kind of ran away and got in some trouble and, um, was out on the road for a couple of years. And that's what Ash was alluding to earlier with the hitchhiking and the riding freights and things like that. Um, and for me, uh, when I finally got to a point where, you know, I was ready to, I'd been, I'd hitchhiked up to Alaska, uh, one summer, um, to work in the fish canneries up there. And I, I came back with some money and, um, 
I was with a buddy of mine and his, his, uh, blazer and there was a, um, motorcycle for sale on the side of the street with a cardboard sign, just kind of leaning up against it for 350 bucks. It was a Honda, like a 1970s Honda CB554, um, which today would probably be worth thousands, but at the time was not quite, a, uh, you know, as desirable of a collector's item as it is now. And, uh, it was 350 bucks. So I bought it and I didn't even know how to ride it home. And, um, I ended up having to go back with a friend who didn't know how to ride a motorbike and she rode it and I rode on the back and then she gave me some lessons and that was the beginning of my motorcycling career. Um, so that was back in the early nineties. Right. And here we are. <laughs> here we are. Yeah. It started. So for me that the, the, the motorcycling really picked up right where the freight trains and hitchhiking left off. Like I don't think I ever rode a freight train after getting on a motorbike. And I, I started using that bike to go all over the Western U S um, and, uh, and then eventually I went up to like an 1100 and, um, and so that for me was kind of like it float. It was that same travel bug, just like translated to a different tool, you know, somewhere you had a little bit more control over it. Yeah. A little bit more control. I mean, I, at the end of the day, despite like the romance on hopping freights and, and hitchhiking, which is, you know, real and they have some redeeming qualities, but they're both like pretty slow, dirty, frustrating ways to get around, mm-hmm. you know, and risky. Um, yeah, but not the motorcycles are exactly the safest alternative, <laughs> but like, you know, freight trains involves a lot of waiting around. You're like totally exposed to elements. It's noisy, it's dangerous. And, you know, it's like, it takes a while to get places on freight trains and, and, um, and then hitchhiking, you have the risk of, of getting in the vehicles with just people you don't know, you know, that, that's always weird. And sometimes it turns out great, but sometimes it turns out weird. Yeah. Com- <laughs> lack of conversation and just questionable silence. <laughs> oh, uh, I could go on and on about the funny thing <laughs> happening with hitchhiking, but also you can sit outside for long, long periods of time without a ride. I mean, in, in rain and heat and, and, um, you know, sometimes you get rides right away, but sometimes it's like hours or even a day, you know? So it's not the most efficient way to get around. And then every time you walk up to a car, you're like, Hmm, I wonder how this one's going to go. Yeah. What do you want from me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What's the exchange yeah, rate on this one? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, I mean, that's a long time ago. Yeah, this is we're talking um, thirty years ago. You know, more. I was chuckling to myself when you said something about that is not very efficient to get around on freights, <laughs> and I thought, oh gosh, even just riding a train, like you think, oh, I'll ride a train. It's nice and romantic. You're like, yeah. whoa, it's going to take a long time <laughs> not riding a train. <laughs> Yeah, and there's some there's some really cool things about it. Like, don't get me wrong, but it it, it is you know motorcycles are a hell of a lot better, yeah. and and you're limited to a track yeah. or with hitchhiking to a highway, you know. True. I, the only thing I would say, like maybe on the train that relates to the motorcycle, is you go into places that are not traveled by car that you wouldn't normally necessarily mm-hmm. see. Definitely. Mm-hmm. No, you definitely do, and you, you it takes you well off the the road track, and in fact, sometimes the the um the trains will stop in in like remote areas to let another train pass and you kind of hop off and poke around and explore a little bit while you wait for it to fire up again and um yes you can see old railroad old railroad camps from long time ago you know um that are you know because the highway kind of diverges from the tracks and so the tracks are going through an area where just doesn't get much foot traffic Mm -hmm. you know it's crazy but i mean yeah definitely i mean i'm just trying to picture it It was just I'm going to say a lot of fun, but I mean, I'm sure it has its, its moments, but I think it's just the fun and the discovery of it. Yeah. And for me at that age, I mean, I was 15 when I left. So, I mean, I was young, you know, that period of time was like 15 to 17. 
and uh, the everything was exciting, yeah. you know. At that time, I, I was seeing the country for the first time. Yeah, that's a big world at that age. Very big. Yeah, <laughs> exciting and scary, and and I don't, you know, there were lots of there was lots of challenges and problems too. I don't want to make it sound like it was all just like woo. Yeah, <laughs> Grand Pizza Adventure. I mean, it was tough, you know. I uh, but. Uh, but it was, I look back on it as this like incredibly formative experience and I could draw a direct line from that to what we do now. Nice. Well, that's something I, I definitely want to talk because obviously we, we want to know, I want to know where, you know, Moscow started and all that. But before we do that, let's talk Ash. Where did you start writing? Yeah, I started writing when I was pretty young. Um, my grandparents have this amazing piece of property, which is kind of where I consider having quote unquote grown up. My dad was military. So um, I'd spent the summers out here and um, I was born in the area, but they live just outside of Yosemite, about 30 miles away from the park. And they just have this, I think it's about 80 acres or so. So it's a really nice sized piece of property. And my grandfather had quad tracks all over the property. And my cousin and I, so I'm the oldest and uh, my cousin was a few years younger. My cousin and I got a little 50cc uh, Honda XR. And that's where my writing started. <laughs> it was, um, the quads were fun when I was little, but you always had to be with an adult. And so this bike was like <laughs> a whole different type of machine where you could go off on your own. And my cousin and I would just scoot around for hours and hours and hours, riding onto other people's property, sometimes getting in trouble, finding woodpeckers that had pecked all the way through trees so we could see through them. Like, I just have so many childhood memories of, of riding around that property and, um, yeah, I think I don't, I definitely didn't know when I was young that, um, cause I rode dirt bikes like into my adolescence as well. Um, and I did not know that they would play such a big role in my life. I had no idea if you would have told me then, uh, what I do now, I never would have believed you, but I also probably would have been really stoked. <laughs> um, <Really>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, as a teenager, I rode dirt bikes, but it wasn't a huge part of my life. It was just something that I had done since I was little. Um, and when I moved up, so I kind of, I lied to everyone that I knew and basically said that I had a job up in Seattle. I was still finishing school. Um, and I transferred up to a university outside of Seattle and just, um, yeah, I, I kind of restarted my boyfriend at the time. And I, um, went up there and both got jobs and he ended up buying an adventure bike after he, he kind of had a hard time finding a job. And once he did, he bought an adventure bike. And I was like, what is this? What even is this thing? Like, I didn't understand it. I was like, it's so huge. What do you do with it? Where like, <laughs> I'm used to dirt bikes, you know, like what, what is this thing? And, um, he had gone on a couple of trips and then he took me with him on the bike and that was not my cup of tea, but I really understood what it was about. And immediately just wanted a bike. Um, and then kind of long story short, I ended up going to the BMW dealership, looking at, uh, there was this Sertau that was pretty much brand new that a guy and his dad had both bought the matching bikes. And one of them ended up breaking their leg and they totally kitted them out with all kinds of aftermarket parts. And it was just so sick. I was so in love with it. 
and I applied for financing and just like crossed my fingers and toes and arms and legs and everything I could think of and um, got the financing on the bike. And that was like one of the happiest, I would say one of the happiest days of my adult life. Like I was so excited and it just took over all of my time, this adventure riding. I mean, I was working in a hospital. Um, and so I'd have these shifts that were 12 hours long, three days a week. And I would kind of bunch them up together so that I'd get bigger chunks of time. And, um, I was planning to go to medical school at the time and I was just working my ass off for that and, um, trying to envision how I was going to stop all this writing that I was doing. (laughs) Um, yeah, so that's kind of my, that's how I got into adventure riding. And then when Pete and I met, I guess I was still riding that same bike. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's kind of the beginnings of my riding where the adventure began Pete, what was the what was the first uh, adventure bike for you uh the first adventure bike for me was uh actually the first adventure bike in the u.s was uh, a um 1150 bmw 1150 adventure um and uh that was awesome i took it down to baja and i actually had that bike right up until we started moscow although i had other bikes too but i kind of kept it um and in fact just the other day i I ran into the guy that uh, bought it for me and um got like 60,000 miles on it now. Yeah. He loves it. It's still going. Um, I never, I didn't rack up that many miles on it. You know, I use it mostly for dual sport trips around the Northwest and one or two trips to Baja and stuff like that. Um, but, uh, but that was my first adventure bike in the U S the first, the bike that really got me fired up on, um, on riding, like touring, I was starting to do some international backpacking mm-hmm. and, um, I was in Vietnam on a trip, uh, in Hanoi and I was like, just kind of frustrated with the whole backpacker experience and backpacker world, you know, because it, it tends to funnel you towards other backpackers, whether that's in like hostels or on buses or like these little guided tours, you know, you sort of get somewhere and you're like, now what do I do with myself? And then the hostel has like some binder full of tour ideas that they push across at you. And you're like, well, I guess I'll go see the waterfall or I guess I'll go do this, but it's like really structured and not very interesting, you know? And these two guys had uh, said to me, Hey, you know, you can buy motorcycles here for like 600 bucks. And it turned out you could actually buy them for quite a bit less than that. I think I, I paid, a couple hundred for the one I bought. Um, and, uh, I decided to, to get a bike and go tour around on that instead of taking in the backpacker route through Southeast Asia. And, um, man, I was just, it was so awesome. You know, I was just like totally hooked. I mean, it was a while I can go anywhere, you know? And that was a Minsk. That was a two stroke Russian Minsk, which I think was a 125 CC two stroke. Um, and, and, uh, you know, it broke down a lot, but like, whatever, everybody there knew how to work on them. And that actually set the stage for a lot of the trips we do now. Like, you know, we just got back from doing a trip in Sierra Leone and Liberia that was like very, very similar to that in terms of like, we just showed up and bought a couple of local bikes, you know? Yeah. No, and that, uh, definitely, I mean, it, that was, I know that that was in the pre- presentation you guys talked about that. Um, yeah. you know, going to these foreign countries, you know, far off places and, and that's like day one is like, let's find a bike, you know, that's how yeah. we're going to do this. Not let's, you know, well, we should go see this place and that place and then figure this out. No, it's like, no, first thing we're doing is buying a bike. Yeah. Yeah. We can hardly wait. I mean, we land and we start like, we're like, we should go to sleep. We need to like get our sleep back on track. You know, it's usually kind of like evening when we get there. And we're like, we really need to go to bed. We need to go to bed. And we both just start fiddling with our gear immediately and getting our stuff ready. <laughs> like, we can't help ourselves. It's so exciting landing in another country, you know, where you don't, you don't know the customs, you don't speak the language and, and 
and, you know, figuring out how to get a bike and get, and like, you know, just getting out of town and a lot of the places we travel, there's just not a ton of information, um, except for the major tourist destinations. So it's, it's a pretty exciting, you know, like, um, and we've, we've done a lot of this now. It's become like really a recurring theme for us. We've just picked some place we want to go fly there, buy an inexpensive local bike, usually for kind of a thousand to 2000 bucks max. And sometimes for less and go ride it around for a month and then sell it at the end and hopefully get half our money back. It's a very economical way to see the world on two wheels. And I mean, and it, it makes perfect sense, you know, how you guys do it. I mean, I learned, you know, again, I learned a lot from the presentation because like you said, I mean, you, you guys have done this multiple times now. This isn't, you know, this isn't the first, second or third trip. This is, you know, five, 10 trips later. Yeah, at least. I mean, we've done it all over the world. We call it brat packing, uh, like backpacking, <laughs> brat packing. Yeah. <laughs> that's that, our term for it. That's the new hashtag. I don't think anybody else is using that term yet, but we're, we're, we're trying to get the word out. It's brat packing. <laughs> Yeah. Well, uh, we, we're, we're going to 68 countries. So <laughs> with the, with this Great. episode, so I'm sure we'll, we'll get some more people using it. <laughs> Y'all heard it here first. Yeah. <laughs> nice. And that's brap with two A's. If you're yeah. hashtag, <laughs> yeah, you're it, hashtag yeah. right. <laughs> it's not as hard as single A single A stuff. There's no time for the single A braps. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Can I please say this? Like just because it's fucking hilarious and <laughs> he probably, probably won't be listening to this podcast maybe he will and if he does dude i love you but that was hilarious so at the, at the meetup when we did our presentation do you remember the guy who was like brap i thought it was brape brop brop yeah. like, <laughs> because of the double a's you yes like, <laughs> you were like what <laughs> yeah that was i do remember that okay the girlfriend and i were chuckling about it <laughs> i really when i walked up to him and like made such a big deal of it because i was like what no come on you know i kind of like walked up and gave him a hard time his face just went like a like a tomato and i was like oh shit he was serious like i thought he was joking making a joke about that no he was really serious but you know if you've only seen things in writing how do you know i mean that that uh true uh, you know i've made that mistake too you know when i've seen things the on the internet or goes whatever crap the two strokes. Maybe that's what we were joking. Maybe it's a four stroke knife. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was it, yeah, exactly. Was this two or four stroke? Cause this is, I think two stroke oh might God. be a single a, <laughs> I mean, that's the only problem with the, 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 the brat packing for our international trips is that they're very rarely on two strokes. It's almost always four strokes. Oh, yeah. It's okay. Anyway, it rolls off the tongue. Yeah. True. Not bra- 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 no. That sounds like you're packing brats around. <laughs> I mean, sometimes we do that too. Uh-huh. You never know. <laughs> you may need one in an emergency. The, uh, yeah. so there is, and, and speaking of communication, there was something that was in the presentation that you guys gave. And, and I hope that you guys can do something like, I would love to see, well, I don't know. Actually, I have mixed feelings about that. <laughs> that presentation that you guys did was so cool being there and being present for it. That part of the experience was being there and talking with you guys that I almost kind of don't want to see it on YouTube or one of the medias where you could share it with more people. But at the same time I do, because I, you guys have so much experience in what you've done. You know, it's like you're, I'm torn the experience side of it versus, you know, being yeah. there and, and in person versus the yeah. people need. I mean, to I think this. it would be, it would be such a different format. First of all, thank you for saying that. Yeah, that makes you. us feel really yeah. good. Totally. Um, we're about to do it again at Overland Expo and we're really excited about that, but it always feels good to know that it was valuable information for someone. 
We should put in a plug for that, actually. Do you, do you, I don't remember what time it is, though. It's on Saturday. <laughs> oh, I have it on my... We, I can look on my phone and tell you in a second. Yeah, Saturday at Overland Expo sometime. Saturday, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think if, we, if we did ever do that, like, if, and I'm sure we will, um, when we like dice this up for social media or for YouTube or whatever, mm-hmm. it will be packaged so differently that I think it would still be... There would still be valuable... or There would still be value in going to a presentation. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That it would be like, it's just so different when you parse things up into these 60 second, 15 second or, you know, 20 second pieces. It's like so different than having, uh, someone's, you know, pretty much undivided attention for 45 minutes or an hour. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's something we, we talk about it a lot and it's like, you know, it's one of these things where when you find something you love and you sort of instinctively want to share it with other people, um, and I think there is an, a kind of a natural barrier, barrier to entry. Um, so it's not like giving up your favorite surf spot or something like that. I mean, for one thing, it's the entire world, mm-hmm. and, um, which is a, you know, a large surf spot. And, uh, and then also, it's just, it, there's barriers to entry in terms of time. And, and it's, it's an inexpensive way to travel, but it's not free. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, bar- a financial barrier to entry. And then there's also just like a fear barrier to entry. You know, a lot of people are uh, just not comfortable with that level of uncertainty. And so I think, um, you know, a very, very small handful of people hear that presentation and think, I'm going to do that. And I'm always really, really happy when they come up to us, you know, six months later and say, oh, my God, I did it. And I had this amazing experience. That's the best feeling. But it doesn't it doesn't happen all that often. But I, I do think um, for some folks, it it helps them redefine the frontiers of their sort of mental frontiers of motorcycle travel Mm -hmm. and like the places you can go and the types of trips you can do. And maybe they won't necessarily fly to Liberia, but they might go to Mexico, Mm -hmm. you know, they might go to, they might go to Morocco. Um, they might, they might uh, go to the the next state over, you know, and if it, anything that furthers those boundaries, (laughs) I mean, I think motorcycle travel, that's a big part of it is, is pushing your boundaries, you know, and, and it doesn't really matter if your boundaries require you to fly halfway across the world or just go camping at a campground, 150 miles from your house. The point is you're testing them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's a, that's like a big part of what I get out of it. And then is the more you do it, you know, the further those boundaries get pushed mm-hmm. and the more, the more sort of exotic and, uh, challenging trips you might you might try to do. Yeah. One, one state over, you know, one County over leads to two counties, leads to one state over, leads to three States over. For sure. And the effect is the same, no matter what. It's the boundary breaking that is the point. You know, like you can talk to someone who just got off of a trip that went one state over and it was their first time and it was the most wild thing they could possibly imagine doing. And their enthusiasm and the way that their mind was expanded is the same as someone like like Peter or myself who would fly to Liberia or Sierra yeah. Leone. It's it, it, Yeah, it's really just, I mean... And that's why we say that it sounds cliche, but, you know, adventure means something different to, to everybody. And it's so true. I mean, it means different things to us at different periods of our lives, sure. mm-hmm. you know, and so that proves it. And you can go you can go to like another country and you're there riding a motorcycle and you're on the, the road with other people to your right and left, also riding motorcycles who live there. And they're buying groceries or taking their kids to school and you're having an adventure, mm-hmm. but you're doing literally the exact same thing in the exact same place at the exact same time, mm-hmm. but having two completely opposite 
experiences. One is having an adventure and one is having the complete opposite of an adventure. They're just going through their daily routine. Yeah. That's yeah. why when I have my hand up in the air, I'm doing something crazy. I'm standing dancing on my bike and we're riding through a town. People are looking at you like you're totally nuts because they're just like doing their daily chores. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And tourist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But in, in places that don't get tourists, I mean, you guys... I, there was something in the presentation that, that we, uh, girlfriend and I both talked about in the car after we left, and it was a big aha moment for me, was the communication. Nowhere near yeah. the same language. So the language barrier, but yet on such a, you guys talked about it as communicating on such a very basic level mm-hmm. and still getting through. For sure. And, you you know, we've become pretty uh, somewhat adept at that. I mean, to the extent you can, just because of all the places we travel where we don't speak the same language. But, um, the you know, it's it's actually much easier than people think to get around in countries where you don't speak the language. And it's not uncommon, even out in small villages, for someone to appear who actually does speak English, which is funny. That's a, a convenient thing about speaking English as your first language, um, is that people everywhere study it. But a lot of times you don't. And that's fine. And, you know, I think for us, like we talked in the presentation about traveling to places where they don't get a lot of visitors because, um, you know, in those places, people are often just as excited to see you as you are to see them. And that's like a really critical ingredient that when you go to a place that gets a lot of, uh, foreign visitors, everybody in that area is going to be so accustomed to it that they, they're not, they, they, you don't really have anything to offer them except your money, mm-hmm. you know, like show up, spend some money, get out is kind of the feeling. And, and in fact, for folks who don't benefit from the tourist business in that town, they probably regard you as an annoyance, you yeah. know, but you're, but when you are a novelty, like part of the reason we travel is for that novelty and the experience of like other cultures and meeting people. Um, but if you're providing that same novelty to the people you're visiting, if you they, they see you and, well, this is crazy. Thanks for coming to our village. And who are you? And why are you here? And, you know, there's, and can I take a picture with you? And it's like, it's like you're, it's a totally equal exchange, mm-hmm. you know? And that, that's a really nice feeling, but you don't get it in areas that see a lot of tourist traffic. Yeah. Um, so that's something that I think helps with that. To your point, though, about the deep communication without um, that's, that's so far beyond like just verbally communicating. Um, there was a little girl on this trip and her name was Princess. I did get that out of her. I like to I, I try really hard when we get somewhere to like learn about, you know, 60 to 80 words, like really basic words that will help me kind of at least get, get the, um, the first few sentences out of, out of the way in a conversation with someone new. And so I was able to ask her what her name was. Her name was princess and she was so cute. And she was like washing, she wanted to watch me and she was washing her clothes and she was doing it from like far enough away. Like not that she was scared per se, but just that it wasn't like, intruding on what I was doing and I invited her over closer and so she oh gladly picked up her bucket ran over to where I was continued washing her clothes I asked her if I could help her like just by just by using my hands and by and and my face you know you don't have to actually say anything Mm -hmm. and it was really sweet we washed her clothes together and then we laid them out in the sun and um I think then she decided it was enough and she came back over for a visit later, gave her some cookies and <laughs> we went about our, our business. But it's those it's those like fleeting interactions sometimes that are sometimes just the sweetest and, and the best. And like Pete said, the curiosity. I mean, I have this this uh, one of my favorite memories of interacting with people um, on our motorcycle trip was in Ethiopia a few years ago where 
the we were visiting in these tribal villages that um, are in the very, very south of the country. It's called the Omo Valley. And so we're in the Omo Valley and these women were so curious about me because it was like my markings. They do a lot of body modification um, and my tattoos and my piercings were just so fascinating to them. And they kind of even pulled me aside and like were wanting to like look at my entire body and like inspect for any other tattoos or piercings. And um, we they were able, even able to ask me like if I had children or um, or not. And we weren't speaking any, I mean, I don't even know what language they speak, you know? So yeah, you can have these really valuable, meaningful interactions. That, I mean, we're never, and where, where was this at? Where in the world was this at? I have to ask that because you guys have been everywhere. So <laughs> yeah, that was in Ethiopia. Hey, Ethiopia. Okay. And that was the and same was with Princess? No, no, princess. Princess, is, princess was in Sierra Leone. Yeah, yeah. We should explain with princess that they, that both Sierra Leone and Liberia, they're, English is kind of a, an official language there, but it's like a high, it's like a totally modified version of English in Sierra Leone. It's Creole and Sierra Leone was a Brit was, has a heavy British influence and then yeah. Liberia has a heavy American influence. And so like when I asked her, what's your name? Um, I said, what's your name? What's your name? That's how you say it. Like, what's your name? And how do I you mean, say, uh, what's up? Uh, Adibadi. 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 Which it Adibadi. comes from. And then you say Adi body fine, you said. <laughs> so that says Adi body is how's the body, and uh, and then you're say back the body's fine yourself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there, there it 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 you know Liberia was founded by Americans, um, and so the the English uh, had by basically freed slaves from the U.S. You know that resettled there, and so um, that's where the English language that's spoken there derives from. Gotcha. So there that that connection. And, but still, I mean, it's, if you're not used to speaking or hearing that, obviously it's, it's still, even though I was like, oh, that kind of sounds like that's me with Italian and, and speaking Spanish and um, kind of sounds like <laughs> it, but no, that's, I know if I say that I'm, I might get into trouble. <laughs> oh man. We were like, oh, it's going to be great. We can just talk to everybody. They speak English there. And no. like the, 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 <laughs> as soon as we arrived at the airport, we were like, uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> we <laughs> have questions. Like, if, you're just spe- if you're just speaking English, they can't understand anything hardly, you oh. know, that you're saying. most most people really well educated people in both of those countries will understand your english and be able to speak speak english back to you yeah yeah you you find english speakers pretty easily there but um it's pretty interesting (laughs) that was uh that was us in uh puerto rico a few months ago I go, they speak Spanish, but then it was like, they're like, huh? (laughs) Yeah. Different, different Spanish in Puerto Rico. (laughs) Uh, yeah. Socks. Huh? What are socks? Yeah, one of, my, one of my best friends is Puerto Rican. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's very different. Yeah. <laughs> and you think you're like, oh, okay, I got this. Uh, no, you don't. <laughs> so, all right, let's rewind it a little bit. But so where did, where did Moscow Moto start in all of this? Moscow uh, started back in 2013. Um I was, uh, at the time I had been involved in another business, um, that I sort of exited and I was very burned out that business had had a really tough go of it after the, the heavy recession hit in 08, 09. And, um, I, when I exited it, I was very happy to exit it. You know, like I just, I was burned out. I didn't know what I was going to do. And I was doing a lot of international motorcycle travel, um, before for like about 10 years before that I'd been doing the trips, starting with that Vietnam trip, it sort of gotten bigger and bigger and more and more interesting. And, um, and so that was kind of my, 
you know, hobby, but it had nothing to do with my business. And, um, so the first thing I did after exiting that business was, uh, was I decided I was going to ride to Central America and I, or maybe South America. I didn't know I was just going to go South. So I had a, a 950 Super Enduro and I loaded it up and, and, um, I had made the transition from hard luggage to soft luggage, uh, quite a while before that, you know, I just got tired of like breaking my panniers every time I went on an adventure trip. And, um, and so I switched over to soft luggage and I decided to take soft luggage on that trip because my goal was to, at least through Central America, try to spend as much time off road as possible. And, um, and that's what I did. I kind of embarked on this journey and right away on the trip, you know, I do a lot of other sports too, like skiing and mountain biking and backpacking. And, uh, I, um, I was, uh, on that, uh, I headed out on that trip with the soft luggage and I, I right away, I was kind of like, man, I feel like there's a better version of these bags, you know, like it, it, they just seem so simple compared to the, um, bags that I use in other sports and, and for an equivalent price of what you might see in a backpacking pack at REI, but the bag was so much less sophisticated. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I kind of networked my way into, um, a connection at Dekine, which at the time was one of our major employers here in the gorge. They're a, a major bag making company that was owned by Billabong. Mm-hmm. Then it had originally been founded by a couple entrepreneurs. Um, and then they sold it to Billabong. And so Billabong, uh, owned it, but Bill Bonks in Australia, the company was headquartered in the gorge. And I, I, because of that, there were a lot of kind of bag making, um, there's a lot of bag making expertise, sort of a cluster of expertise around the gorge, um, between prototypers and factories that come here to visit and designers and graphic designers and just all the, the kind of ecosystem that supports a substantial business like Dekine. And so I was able to network my way into a contact to, um, Andrew, who's now my business partner at the time. He was the senior bag, senior technical bag designer at Dekine. And uh, he rides too. And so I started communicating with him on email while I was riding down to Central America about like, hey, here's, I was sending him pictures of the bags and um, some ideas for like a duffel with backpack straps and a, a pannier that maybe mounted to the bike. Like in the same way you, with backpacks, you have like frameless backpacks, like the classic rucksack. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have like frame backpacks that have more structure and better weight distribution. Um, could there be some version of that that would work for, you know, a motorcycle pannier and, um, of a frame pack? You know what I mean? That was the, those are a couple of the original ideas was like a duffel with backpack straps that, but that turns into a duffel and where the straps don't go over the opening, the main opening. So like a top down duffel, you strap it down, but then you can't get into it during the day. Mm-hmm. And so there are a few kind of core ideas that came up in that exchange, but it was all off in the future. Cause I was off on this motorcycle trip and nobody really knew where, or when it was going to end, least of all me. Um, so I was riding south, and I got into Honduras, and uh, everybody told me, like, oh, just skip Honduras. You know, it's dangerous. It's not that interesting or whatever, which uh, for me it just made it seem even more interesting. Um, and I got there, and I met a really cool guy named Gerardo um, at the border in Copan who had a uh, a business there. Uh, and uh, he um, told me about the Mosquito Coast, this, like, sort of remote area in northeastern Honduras that up against the border with Nicaragua. He said, hey, I, I used to do adventure tours there by boat, and I think you could get through there with a motorcycle, even though there's not roads. Um, and, you know, maybe it would be an interesting challenge. And I kind of hung out with him for the night at his uh, coffee shop there, and um, he sketched out some thoughts for me on maps. And I kind of followed his directions, you know, which were like, hey, go to this town and then follow this dirt road, and it dead ends at a beach, and you're going to ride like 50 miles down the beach, and then it's going to hit a river mouth, and there'll be boats at the river mouth, and so on and so forth. And I could work my way down to Nicaragua. And so um, that's what I did. I headed out there. And I, I, it was a really interesting experience. You know, it doesn't get a whole lot of people traveling through the Mosquito Coast because it's sort of out of the way, you know. And there's no roads. Um, 
And so, uh, so I headed out on this thing and I ended up getting in this horrendous accident in the middle of the mosquito coast. Like I, I like probably about 40 or 50 miles from the Nicaragua border. I crashed and I broke my leg and there's a big, big uh, problem. And I had to get out of there. And, um, I was evacuated, did a medevac back to the U S had surgery in Miami. Um, and then bam, like, you know, just like that, I was back in, uh, in the gorge and I kind of went over, I called up Andrew and was like, Hey dude, guess what? I'm back. <laughs> you want to talk about that bag idea we had, you know? And, uh, I was still on crutches and on painkillers and stuff, but we got together and, um, kind of hatched the, hatched the, uh, hashed, hatched the plan to start developing the bags. And that led into the business about a year later. Um, so that was the original kind of founding story of, uh, of Moscow. And, um, in fact, uh, we spent that year developing the bags and, um, I recovered from my injury and, you know, healed up. And the following winter we had prototypes that we'd sewn here in the U S of what's now the backcountry pannier and, and backcountry duffel. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but we had nowhere to test them cause it was winter in the gorge and there was snow and ice on the ground. And so we had to go somewhere warm. And I was like, well, I have this bike sitting on this Honduran army base out in the middle of the mosquito coast. Um, maybe I could fly down with the prototypes and strap them to the bike and finish the trip. Cause I need to get that bike anyway. I need to get it back to the U S anyway. And so that became the first testing trip. I flew down there and took a series of progressively smaller flights to get out to this um, uh, town, Puerto Lempira, in the Mosquito Coast. And then from there, got a ride in a side-by-side to the bike and um, and then took the bike and rode it down to Panama. It was like probably 400-something miles, I think, from where the bike was to the pavement. And, um, and then on the pavement, I just kind of took the main thoroughfares with a few dirt detours on the way down to um, Panama put the bike on a plane and flew it home and, and, and the bags worked out great. The mounting system worked out great. Everything worked great. So, um, when we got back, we said, Oh, what are we going to call the company? Cause we were ready to go into production and we had to pick a name and a logo. Mm-hmm. And we wanted, we liked doing something related to the mosquito coast. Um, but mosquito coast is kind of wordy. Yeah. And so we shortened it to Moscow cause they call it La Mosquitia down there with a K. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just sort of feminine. And, and so we just kind of came up with Moscow. It's like a combination of La Mosquitia and Mosquito Coast. Mm-hmm. And, and what about the wrestler? Uh, and, oh, yeah. And, it, well, there's a, yeah, so there's a professional <laughs> wrestler called El Mosco de Tijuana, mm-hmm. but Moscow with a, with a um, M-O-S-C-O, mm-hmm. not a K. So that, that actually factored into, into the conversation <laughs> well. El Mosco de Tijuana. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so... Um, so that, yeah. And then we picked the lizard because that the lizard lives in the mosquito coast. The basilisk lizard lives in the mosquito coast. Ah, okay. That was going to be my next question. Yeah. I'm on wait. How did we go from then, mos- you know, Moscow's or, you know, a mosquito to, yeah. <laughs> to a lizard, but okay. Yeah. Yeah. They're the lizard. Uh, because, um, we actually, we looked at mosquitoes, you know, we wanted something from the natural world and, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, we didn't want to have like a piston or a cog, you know, we wanted something that was natural and organic and, you know, more kind of like reflecting our identity as a, an outdoor and nature company more so than like, you know, hardcore motorsports. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so that's the direction we were headed. And then the basilisk lizard, you know, they call it the Jesus Christ lizard because it, it runs so fast. It doesn't, it runs across the surface of the water. It doesn't sink, you know, it just like skips across it. We're like, cool. Here's a little critter from the mosquito coast that goes like super fast and doesn't get wet. Yeah. And so, uh, that's what we, that's how we chose that more, more or less waterproof. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, waterproof, I guess, because he doesn't stink. Yeah. Fortunately, with riding, if you go faster, you get more wet through the yeah. water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, you don't want to. You don't need to peel peel back too many layers on that. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I'm not saying I'm not saying it's part of making sense. I'm just, I was commenting in general. <laughs> Cute little logo. We like him. The little critter. Oh yeah, he's great. Yeah. Nice. Very nice. So, we better like him. He's tattooed on both of our bodies. Yeah, but Ash yeah. and I both have, have basilisk lizard tattoos. Nice. And actually, we weren't the first people to get basilisk Moscow tattoos. There yeah. are two two friends of ours and other writers that got them first. Ah, uh, there we <laughs> Believe go. Believe it or not. Yeah. Yeah, we we have actually two tattoo shops just across the street from Moscow. So I'm just making this as a public announcement that we will pay for your tattoo if you get a tattoo of a basilisk lizard. <laughs> nice. We will pay for it. There you go. <laughs> Not that anyone's going to take us up on that. Uh, and while we're has. making announcements, yeah. our presentation is at one o'clock at Overland Expo. Oh, the presentation <laughs> is one o'clock Saturday, Overland Expo. Okay, so Overland Expo, and it's is it this weekend already? Yes, yeah. this oh, weekend. Wow. Flagstaff, oh, Saturday. Okay. Yep. Saturday, Flagstaff. one o'clock, Flagstaff. Yep. Nice. Meet yep. you there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and that place, yeah, for, for as I always say, those playing the home game. I mean, that I went, I've been there twice. The second time was definitely an adventure. I, I actually rode out, um, didn't drive out, rode my F800 out there uh, solo, just, you know, picked every, my goal was not a single freeway. And mm. on the way oh. out, it didn't work out. But on the way back, I was like, I'm not taking a single freeway on the way back. I'm going to literally pick all these. And I saw Jerome and all these little, you know, mining towns and skirting thunderstorms and, and these, because I ended up having to leave early because of weather that was coming in. And I'm like, well, I am a fair weather rider. <laughs> so <laughs> this is my time to leave. And yeah, I mean, it ended up, you know, like you guys were saying, adventure is a little bit different for everybody, but that was the first time I had done such a long solo ride you know, and, and was like, you know, I'm on a traveled road, maybe not thoroughly traveled, but if I break down, somebody eventually will come along and I've got enough stuff to camp. So let's see where this goes. And, and the whole event was just amazing. So. Oh, awesome. Yeah. That, that it's a great event. It's one of our, one of our favorites of the year. Um, and it's become huge. You know, a lot of the growth has been on the four by four side. Mm-hmm. Not the adventure motorcycle side, but it's still, uh, even just as an adventure motorcycle event, still a large one in the context of other events in the country. And a lot of the Overland people cross over to ADB as well. There's a lot of crossover. A lot of ADB people have Overland vehicles. A lot of Overland folks have ADB bikes or dual sport bikes um, strapped to the back. So yeah. um, it's fun. You know, it's a lot of like gear to geek out on. I don't remember how many vendors it is, but it's huge. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know? it'll take yeah it takes a while to walk through it for sure and then yeah and then a lot of the show too is wandering through the campsites and looking at the vehicles of the attendees you know and and then you see the like the earth roamers and some of these others oh yeah it's so wild yeah there's definitely some wild stuff so what's uh what's next for the camp i mean you guys just recently went into apparel right yeah, it, it seems recent, uh, maybe to the outside world, but it doesn't seem too recent to us. We we started. I mean, we're probably in our we're coming up on our fourth season in apparel, so fourth year, and uh, and we worked on it for probably I don't know four or five years before that. I mean, we started designing apparel almost like within before we even had our first bag in inventory. So it was a long lead in. Apparel is just like a very long game. I mean, actually. Anybody can kind of draw a picture of a jacket, send it off to a factory and be in business 
12 or 18 months later. But to build these really complicated, high-quality garments uh, it, like the, what, what we do and um, for the motorcycle world is like totally uh, a different story. I mean, it just takes forever. You know, there's a lot of relationship building with the factories and the vendors, a lot of research, a lot of design, a lot of prototyping. You got to, um, you know, try a lot of things, fail, start over. Um, and we did all of that. Um, so we've been working on apparel almost as long as we've been working on bags, but we didn't actually release it until probably five years later. Yeah. Um, and then this will be our fourth season. And so we started with bags and then we did uh, apparel and, and we're still The apparel is still very much in the kind of expansion phase. Um, and then we're just getting into body armor. So, okay. you know, one of the things, all of our apparel is designed to work with separate body armor. So it doesn't have integrated armor pockets like mm-hmm. a lot of motorcycle jackets do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, there's a lot of benefits to that. For example, you can take your jacket off and still have armor protection. Um, so when it's hot out, you know, you get much better airflow and ventilation. Um, so for off-road riding, uh, for serious off-road riding, everybody uses separate body armor. Mm-hmm. Um, and as, as adventure and dual sports starts to shift a little bit more in that direction, we think that's where other folks are going to go. But regardless, that's how we do it. So uh, we're designing the kind of gear that we personally use mm-hmm. and our, our friends. Um, and so that, though, then immediately begs the question, well, okay, what do I do for armor? You know, if you're talking to someone who's migrating from an integrated armor garment, um, they need to figure out their armor solution. And so we've worked with a couple companies uh, for the last several years as we developed our power line. But now we're going to start doing our own. Um, that is like totally designed to go with our apparel, nice. you know, nice. and we're partnered with a company in the UK called Rayon labs that has a, just a really neat patented armor technology. That's like totally unlike anything that we've seen in motorcycle before. So Interesting. it's going to be pretty special. Yeah. yeah. But it, that's a, another one of these big, long, slow development process. And it, there's a lot of molds involved and technology and, um, you know, it's, uh, long, slow process. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, trying to get it right and, and fitting comfortably. And I mean, the gear is designed, um, at least when I picture, first of all, I subscribe to, to that. I like wearing armor separate from the jacket because yeah, if it gets hot and I usually run warm, I want to be able to take the jacket off, but still have the armor that I chose to wear that day and, and not have to yeah. like compromise in that. So I, I feel like that totally makes sense. Um, but getting it just right because like i know i won't use certain elbow guards because the fit of it isn't quite you know like it works it gets the job done but it's not something that i'm gonna want to ride you know starting at 7 a.m and going into the dark you know all day long yeah so yeah a lot of body armor is designed for a lot of off-road body armor is designed to be worn for relatively short periods it's not designed to be lived in Mm -hmm. you know the way we live in it uh, so it, it, that's a pretty common, uh, experience with off-road body armor when you're wearing it all day, every day. I mean, to me, it's still way better than integrated armor, mm-hmm. um, in terms of both the protection and then the comfort of being able to take your jacket off. Mm-hmm. And most people, when they finally make the switch, just have this like aha moment. And you typically find that you're, you, you start wearing your jacket less and less, you know, mm-hmm. and until eventually you're just putting it on when it's cold and wet or you're getting on pavement and you want the abrasion protection. Yeah. But, uh, but for dirt. You know, uh, there's just no reason. I mean, you got people out there riding in the desert in, you know, 100 degree temperature, 0% chance of rain, and they're wearing rain gear, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, it just it's crazy. Like, it's the only sport I'm aware of where people wear their rain gear even when it's not wet, even yeah. when it's not raining. I mean, you could say maybe skiing, but skiing, you're still surrounded by frozen water. You're in snow, you know? Yeah. So, so most sports, when it stops raining, you take your rain gear off. Yeah, usually. 
or if it's motorsports, a lot of them just put the, <laughs> put the car away, but no, you're right. And this is, uh, I mean, like we've talked, I've had different people on the, on the podcast and we've talked about different things to set up the bike to make it comfortable to ride all day long suspension, things like the counter shock and, and all these little comforts and, and mental games that you play with yourself to make sure you're fresh. But the gear is definitely one of the largest impacts, how much stuff you're packing and carrying on yourself versus putting on the bike. All of these things add up to how well you're going to be doing in the afternoon and not making mistakes and all this stuff. So I, I see what you guys are saying. You know, you, you have to take into consideration in as far as design goes and, and wearability and where, when to use these things. For sure. I see it. So nice. Well, I think, let's see, I was trying to think there was some, one other I was going to, so what is, uh, I mean, are, are we going to start doing some of these fireside chats and doing more of these, uh, more of these events, meetup styles that you guys were talking about? Yeah, no question. Definitely. I mean, with the, the IMS tour kind of disappearing, at least for this year, we don't know if that's forever. Can't make any statements about that. But the IMS at this point has no further plans of putting on events. Um, so with that in mind, definitely we will be planning um, a tour of these weekend uh, dirty meetups name to be announced. Soon. <laughs> <laughs> Although dirty meetups is not terrible either. No, uh, we, as in, that's been our internal like, name for a while. I, I like, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> it's, okay, it's, okay. Yeah. it's not, the, it's not the best. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, right. I mean, we did get brat packing already, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, we like coming up with words. Yeah. Um, I, and names, uh, you know, I think, um, events are, are, are going to, are just hugely important to us, you know? And I think for, as a direct selling company, finding you know it's a little bit like in the old days if you were in some town and you were like a shoemaker and you wanted to sell your shoes in the next town over you know you had to pick up load up your cart take your shoes over there and put them on display you know Mm -hmm. and and that was before retail and distribution and wholesale and all that stuff and direct selling is kind of back to the future you know if you want anybody to know about you you got to go out and do it and we like traveling you know we like i mean going around the country and meeting people and camping and riding. I mean, it's just going to be, I think it, it works on both sides, you know, it works for the business and it works for the people in the business and it works for the riders and the customers that want to come check stuff out. And so I feel like it's been a long time coming. We've been talking about this for a long time. And so the, the, this having our weekends freed up, mm-hmm. uh, it's actually, I think going to turn out to be a great opportunity yeah. um, to change the way we're doing things. Yeah. yeah. I th- you know, and, and, like to me, I'm just picturing in my mind is like, okay, if we had, you know, seeing the pictures and everything that you guys had was, was really cool, you know, right at, at the, at the presentation that you guys did here at Mid- midnight animal. Um, but now I'm thinking like, okay, what would that have looked like around this, you know, big ass bonfire and everybody just hanging out and, and talking and listening to the story, you know, that, that you guys have of your experiences. I mean, I just, the connection is very different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And we'll still do the other meetups too. You know, yeah. I think we, we, we do both, you know, it's just like people, we have to work around people's schedules, you know, and during the week people are working. Mm-hmm. And so they're available from, you know, 5 PM to, or from kind of 3 PM to say seven to nine ish. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on, on the weekends, um, 
you know, they're more available to ride and camp and do other stuff. And so we'll try to structure our event tour around those demands, you know. Nice. nice. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to it. So where do we have to go to find this information when you guys start doing this or how do we follow along on your adventures? Yeah, we'll we'll be so as as our the rest of our event schedule for the year unfolds and we make some decisions here in the next coming weeks, we'll definitely be sharing it on social media. Um, and then also we've really we've really improved our events page on our website recently where there's now like an interactive map and you can kind of browse around the map and look at when events are coming up. So just on our website is another great place. But um, in the coming weeks, like I said, we'll we'll get that out there on social. So cool. make sure to yeah. share it with everyone. And you can find us on social on Instagram. Uh, the company is at Moscow Moto. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Ash and I personally are at Moscow Ash and at Moscow Pete. And we're real active on social. Um, and, uh, and you can also sign up for our newsletter on the website as well. So there's a, a bunch of different ways. We've got the events section of the website. We've got Moscow Social, Pete and Ash Social, and, um, and then the newsletter. Nice. Or not newsletter. It's not really a newsletter. It's more the blog. Just sign up for our email list. Okay. We, we won't spam you. Yeah. <laughs> and if it is, it'll be travel related and actually worth it. The spam you actually yeah. want. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, that's cool. I'm, I'm on the website right now and taking a look around and yeah, this is, this is awesome. Super interactive. The cool. So man, you guys, you guys really do have a stack schedule. Yeah, we do, man. We're just kind of constantly on the move. Uh, but that's good. I mean, so that's, there, I, yeah, that's how we like it, man. We set it up this way and, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and now we're living it and it's not perfect. You know, we have, there's challenges with being gone so much, but, and we miss our dogs and, uh, we love our house, you know, but, um, uh, and we love uh, a lot of our sports at home and stuff like that. Kite surfing, mountain biking, all the things that we do when we're not on bikes. So, yeah. you know, we're always looking for the balance just like anybody. Uh, fun and work except uh it, i i could see with something like this the line blurs a little bit oh you mean i have to go ride <laughs> there is no line first of all there is no line yeah. no there is no line we love we love what we do we do what we love we we love the people we work with they're our friends uh it uh is everything is fully integrated nice and uh and there that, again that's also not perfect you know sometimes that creates challenges too Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but we work through them just like, you know, like anything. I mean, it's, uh, it's a neat way to live, you know? Yeah. Well, if hey, wait, what, what's that, uh, pick something you'll love and you'll never work a day in your life. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I don't know how accurate that is though. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm really not sure about that either. <laughs> a lot of work. I mean, it's that, you know, they say like type two fun, you know, the, the kind of fun you got to work for. And it's, and it's fun in the sense of accomplishment, you know, <laughs> there's a lot, there's a lot of that kind of work with what we do, yeah. you know, um, it doesn't mean you just wake up like some, you know, every day is just like, we, and now I get to do this. It's not like that. There's a lot of hard work building a business and, and, um, but it, it's rewarding and it's something to be proud of and it, you know, feels good. Yeah, absolutely. I can, I can only imagine one of these days I'll figure it out. You know, I, I'm just doing this till Spotify calls with the multi-million dollar contract and says, you know, we'll just pay for you to go to these events. <laughs> uh, well, let's hope that's coming. We got yeah. our fingers crossed for you. There you go. I appreciate it. Well, and actually, and the, well, there was something I want to say. Um, your social media post, Pete, uh, on the stuff that recently you've been doing with the the Beacon stuff. So the Garmin yeah. reach and all that stuff. 
Yeah. That is super awesome. Uh, <laughs> I used to race direct for the Baja rally and yeah. I saw all sorts of stuff with those things. Uh, and even in the adventure world, I still see people putting them on the bikes. And yeah. I'm like, well, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's, you know, I, I did that series. Uh, that was the first time I ever tried, you know, I'm pretty new. I've just been engaging with social really for the last kind of five or six months in a serious way. Um, and, uh, that was the first time I'd done kind of a series on one topic, you know, and I don't have any kind of affiliation with Garmin. I mean, everybody knows what my affiliation is. It's with Moscow. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I just have done, uh, so many company trips at this point and group rides, and then also just Ash and I, and we've been through several rescues for ourselves and for other people using the devices. And, you know, it's just like a handful of really basic things that are just kind of get maybe hidden in the product manual or something like that, that people don't just totally absorb. And I'm, you know, I just felt like I wanted to communicate some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so that was the origin of those videos and people can check them out on my Instagram. Yeah. Moscow Pete uh, Moscow Pete. Yeah. And it's yeah. definitely, it, it's definitely worth the check. I mean, I, I've seen, um, I've seen like spot trackers or whichever, but you know, I've seen personal locating beacons in a Ziploc bag in the interior pocket of their riding backpack that they were using. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I'd love to see you activate that, you know? Yeah. That's really I mean, special. <laughs> actually not actually. No, please don't get yourself into a situation where you need to activate that because there's going to be issues. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing we're using ours constantly. Like we, 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 we have it with us all the time. Like not just for, you know, cause we're on bikes so much, mm-hmm. you know? So we're, we're, we're so familiar with them and it's easy to forget that like a lot of folks, you know, just, they might go out for, you know, two week long trips in a year or one week long trip in a year. And then a few weekend rides and, and, and their inReach mostly stays off and sort of collects dust. And so they kind of get out there and realize that it's, it's not, they don't know how to work it or, you know, just like some of the things I talked about in the tips, you know, just a few simple things that would make life a lot easier, um, you know, that we take for granted because we're on ours and using them so frequently. But then having watched people try to sort it out when they're out of cell service with no Internet and there's no one to ask. Um, you know, that's what that was the point of those nine kind of that nine part series was just like, hey, here's some very simple tips, you know, that anybody can do and uh, reduce the chance of a situation like that occurring. No, that, and, and I mean, that's so helpful. I mean, it literally, because it's unfortunate that people are going to find out at the wrong time that they don't know how to use it or they don't know what's going on. Or I, even at this, at the get on ADV, I'm all, I left it on. So the next morning I go to go on this ride and the thing's no battery. I'm all like, dude, that's such a rookie mistake. But <laughs> everybody's done that. <laughs> yeah. like, everybody's well, done that. Yeah. yeah. Have a way to keep it charged. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. So eventually we'll get it, but awesome. Well, I really appreciate you guys spending time and uh, getting on the show with me or in the podcast. And uh, dude, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys at more events. And I'm definitely going to sign up for one of these. Uh, is it uh, Dirty Camping? Dirty uh, yeah, Dirty, dirty Meetups. Meetups. Dirty, <laughs> dirty Meetups. Name, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get it. Yeah, I, I definitely want to know the name. I'm 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 curious as to what that's going to be. <laughs> cool thanks so much for having us victor and yeah yeah, i guess we'll look forward to the next time that we see you and the next time we're on the show yeah absolutely yeah Yeah, we'll be thanks a lot keeping up with you guys thank you absolutely thank you ash yeah thank you guys enjoy your evening and uh we'll see you soon you too man bye-bye thank you see you bye all right so that was wrap moscow pete and moscow ash so 
talking a little bit about Moscow Moto and the bags and the history and where they started and all the rides. And um, we we definitely talked at length about the the traveling that they have done. And obviously, I mean, all of this is and continue to do. Um, but if you have the chance to go to one of the meetups and and listen to the presentations or or you know the 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 dirty camping whatever what's coming up and you get a chance to listen and talk to them the stories that they have of these travels and everything that they have done like they honestly when i worked at san diego bmw motorcycles right a lot of people would come in and they would buy the adventure motorcycles because of stories that they have stories that people have lived and done what they do. And, and so to hear those stories from somebody else and, and, and being able to, you know, right then and there not being on YouTube and it being somebody in some studio somewhere far away or some groomed, you know, with cameramen and multi-million dollar productions, but no, you're like literally in a coffee shop listening to them talk about their adventures that they just got done doing. And so it really struck a chord with us and, and it was something like, it, it was definitely inspiring, right? You started looking like, okay, well, you know, can we do this? And, you start thinking about it, but I, I was blown away. And I mean, not only that, I mean, they're the gear and everything that they've done. I mean, you can tell that there's the blood, sweat and tears have been put into it and the design and the thoughtfulness of it and, and how it works and how it straps and how, it, I mean, it's just, it's, it's there. So I highly encourage you guys to jump on the Moscow Moto website. Uh, I'm going to put a link in the description for you guys to check it out. Uh, I will link the website and then I'll link directly to the map of where they're having their meetups, uh, so that you guys can check that out and get, uh, and get on there and and get out to one of these events. And if you're in the Flagstaff area this weekend, uh, jump over to the Overland Expo. They're going to be doing their presentation at one o'clock on Saturday. Uh, definitely it has to be, you got to see it. Like it's got to be on the list, you know, and just reach out and and talk to them. I mean, it's, um, it's really, really cool working with a company that everybody's just super cool. If you hang out at these events with them and you just even spend a little bit of time looking at the gear, you'll see the team and how they, they interact with each other. And so it's a really good company. Um, and, and it's like almost friends first company second. And I think that that's a really, really cool thing, uh, in the industry, you know, you don't, you don't see that that often anymore, but anyway, that is a wrap. For episode 71 of the Chasing Waypoints podcast, man, we're past 50 on our way to 100. That's crazy. But still, I still have to figure out where are we going to do episode 100? Hmm. I'm sure there's a long list of places that we could go. I don't know. What are your guys' thoughts? Comment, share, like, subscribe. If you enjoyed the episode, I know I say this in the outro anyway, but if you enjoyed the episode, share the episode, talk to your friends about it, learn something new. Uh, again, I mentioned this in the last episode that we did with, uh, Matt Sutherland. Uh, we're probably going to be revisiting the starting from starting from zero, getting into rally raid, uh, series as well. Getting back on that. We've got some stuff coming for, uh, this next year's, uh, events that are coming up. So really excited. I am absolutely stoked. It is riding season. We're back. It's starting to get warmer. We're getting out. I'm, I'm a fair weather rider. I'm sorry for those of you guys on the east coast and up in the pacific northwest and all these places where it rains and it's cold and you guys right hats off to you guys for doing it i just can't do it you know it it gets under 50 degrees here you know in the 40s high 40s and uh it's time for the bike to go away and i'm sure there's a bunch of people laughing at me right now somewhere but you know what it's all right like they said 
adventure is different for everybody. Anyway, with that being said, I hope you guys are having a great week. Uh, you guys will hear this on Sunday. Uh, I will be on the road headed back from the Baja Rally training event with the American Rally Originals. Uh, but I will be listening in the car as well uh, to this. So anyway, with that being said, guys, have a great week. Shiny side up and we'll see you soon. All right, that is a wrap for the Chasing Waypoints podcast this week. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe if you like what you heard. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and a bunch of others. Also, follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook under Chasing Waypoints, Instagram, Chasing Waypoints underscore official, and of course, the YouTube under Chasing Waypoints. Hope everybody has a good week. We will see you guys for the next episode. Remember, shiny side up, and don't forget to tag us. We want to see where you guys are riding and what you guys are up to. Have a great week. Bye.